Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I am Scott Jones, your host. I'm excited that you guys have joined me today. I'm excited for the show. It's finally coming to the point where you guys are reaching out a little bit. I'm having conversations with some of the listeners. I'm really finding out what you guys like, so I, I really appreciate the interaction. If you guys want to get a hold of me, you can go to athleteonfire.com anytime. Click on the contact. Shoot me an email at athletesonfire at gmail.com. I'd be happy to get back to you guys. Today's guest is, is an amazing athlete. He started his career out as, as a cross-country skier at the University of Colorado, went on to become an Olympian mountain biker. He's a Hall of Famer in the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame. Great guest. Talk about some mental aspects to competition and training and really what it means to be an athlete on fire. This guy has it. He's got some awesome resources for you guys. Secondly, I just want to say thank you to the people who are going out there and actually, <clears throat> excuse me, actually are uh, giving me reviews on iTunes. It's been really nice to help me get up to the top of the page so people can see what I'm doing. And, and uh, you know, I'm fairly new. I'm not putting any advertising dollars out there. So this is how I get the word out. So I'd just like to give a shout out to a couple of the, a couple of the contributors on iTunes. And the first one is B. DePersis. And he gave me a five-star rating. And his, his review was, I just finished a long run listening to the Dean K and Anna, F, Anna F episodes. And I enjoyed both of them from start to finish. Well done. Obviously, you put the time in beforehand, so you're prepared. Keep up the good work. Just like I didn't put in the time to be able to read this, I do appreciate that you've noticed that, uh, Be Depersis, because I do put a lot of time uh, relative to each guest to, to at least know where they're coming from so I can ask some real questions and really get to know these people. So thanks for noticing that. I'm going to do that with all the other athletes. I think today's episode, you'll really see that I, I, I dive in pretty deep with Travis. And the next one is from Ian Hardos, and he says it's fun to listen to. He gave me five stars. Awesome. Thank you so much. And he says, I enjoy listening to this podcast when I'm running or sitting at my desk wishing I was outside. Trust me, I'm sitting here doing this podcast wishing I was outside a lot of times, but I'm passionate about it, so I'm going to keep, keep it up. Anyway, he goes on to say, the podcast is pretty new to the scene, but it keeps the audience entertained with athletes and sports that you may have never heard of or have little understanding. It's given me a broader understanding of some athletes and offered some humorous stories. Give this one a listen. Sweet, and I hope more people do, and I appreciate it, Ian. I appreciate it, the Persis. You guys are awesome. And, uh, you know, I'll just reach out to the rest of you guys. If you want to give me a review, go for it, athleteonfire.com. Click on the iTunes or Stitcher link on the right, and you can just go give a review. If not, just hang out, listen, go for a run. Tell me about that even. You know, shoot me an email. I'm really enjoying all the interaction. You guys are going to really enjoy this interview today with today's guest. He is a beast. Thank you so much. Prepare to be inspired by some of the most successful athletes on the planet. This is Athlete on Fire, your daily source of amazing stories that will ignite your pursuit of excellence and inspire you to be and do amazing things. Now, I have one question. Are you fired up? Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I'm Scott Jones, your host. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Our guest is an amazing athlete from the beautiful Durango, Colorado. He is now a product developer and rider for Trek Bicycles. He's been a professional mountain biker for most of his career. He's got an awesome athletic background. I'm excited to introduce today Travis Brown. Travis, what's up? Hi, Scott. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, man. And as a formality, I got to ask you, are you fired up today? I'm stoked. I, uh, I, I've uh, had a chance to look at the other athletes, you know, from lots of different sports that you've interviewed, and uh, I think it's really intriguing. Thank you Sweet. for having me. 
Hey, and honestly, man, I would love if you can use mountain biking vernacular the whole interview, like stoked and rad and grinding, like anything <laughs> you can throw out there for these people. I think everybody's going to appreciate that. I'll put like a vocabulary list at the bottom of the show notes so everybody can go back and refer. It'll be fun. All right, so let me tell you really quick how this works since you are a first-time guest and the show is fairly new, so it's not like you've been able to listen to 20 shows. Um, there's three segments, okay? The first segment is, uh, is athlete-defined. We just kind of get to know you, hang out, figure out your past, what kind of makes you, makes you tick and talk. Uh, number two is athlete on fire, and that's more of like your mentality and physical approach to competition and when you were really, really competing at a high level, what was going on there. And lastly is athlete-inspired, athlete and uh, that's for the guests. We just want people to be able to take away some things that you give them in, in the way of resources and, and things that have helped you along the way. All right? Awesome. So here's how I started off. Athlete-defined, go back, back in the day when you're 15 years old. Where were you on a Saturday morning in the summertime, and what were you doing all day? Well, I, I live in Durango now, and I also grew up here. Um, so, and my parents were outdoor enthusiasts, so we would probably on a weekend be, um, in the San Juan mountains somewhere. Maybe we would be backpacking or, uh, fishing. Um, and so the outdoor aspect of, of life was really important for me growing up and Mountain biking or cycling definitely wasn't the first outdoor sport that I kind of got compulsed by. Um, you know, I was a runner and a cross-country skier and alpine skier and, and kind of went through a lot of different sports outside before I found the one that fit me the best, which was mountain biking. Nice. So, so along that line, I kind of have an obsession with, like, where people are from, what their childhood was like. So what was your childhood like? What what was your family life like? What kind of work ethic was instilled? Um, well, I was an only child in Durango, and uh, my mom still runs, and she actually convinced me to try running with her when I was still a ball sport athlete in grade school and junior high, and that was probably um, the beginning of, of my endurance career. And, you know, there was a period of time in grade school where my mom and my dad and I actually went to road races on the weekend together if we weren't fishing or camping or gathering firewood or something like that. Um, so we did a lot of that stuff together. And, you know, that was in the 70s and 80s. And they were part of that running boom in the 70s. Um and so, you know, they were endurance enthusiasts. They did some bike touring and were enthusiasts about that long before I was ever interested in bikes at all. Yeah, that's cool. So Durango, so, you know, this is an audio format. Let's let's talk to people about Durango, Colorado. I, you know, I moved here to Colorado almost 11 years ago. I love the mountains. I can't live anywhere where there's not mountains. So, Amen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, Colorado is diverse enough. So paint a picture of actual – Durango geographically? Well, I think it's it's why I've moved back here after college and living on the Front Range and in Boulder um, is the trail network here. It's really fantastic. Um, but Durango, uh, the things that make Durango special for an outdoor enthusiast is that it's kind of uh, right on the cusp of the Southwest Desert. You know, Moab, the Four Corners, the Red Rock Desert. 
and the really jagged high alpine terrain of the San Juan Mountains. So from Durango, you can ride your bike, you know, through pine forests and aspens to above timberline um, in one direction. Or you can go south and go into the Rim Rock and Pinion Juniper Forest. So um, that's kind of what forms the outdoor culture here in Durango. There's lots of climbers and uh, cyclists and people who like that outdoor lifestyle. So, so in Durango, I mean, what percentage is not an outdoor th- enthusiast? Like how many people – is there a person in town that won't go outside and go for a hike? Uh, well, you'd be surprised. I mean – there's still the agricultural roots of Durango and, you know, my classmates in grade school and high school, there, there were kids that didn't ski. You know, we have a resort 20 miles away. There's kids that didn't ski or didn't do outdoor sports. Um, I think that's one of the things that gives um, Durango more, a lot of complexion. Like it has a really strong outdoor lifestyle culture. But, you know, it has agricultural roots and it has it has parts of the town that actually that's not that important to. Um, but there I think I know I think there are some people in Durango that say that per capita, there's more Olympians and world champions and national champions here than than any place. And yeah, that's a small cool. town. There's about 16000 people. So it's a pretty small town. Nice. So. You know, we're going to have a lot of mountain bikers, I have a feeling, listening to this. So really quick, what's your favorite mountain bike trail in town? Well, you you can't answer that question in Durango, I don't think. You have to. (laughs) You have to answer the question. Okay, my favorite trail in Durango is South Rim Trail. South Rim. And it's dead flat and really twisty. Okay. Uh, which is kind of a unique character around here because we have a lot of relief. And so most of the trails are up, way up and then way down. Yeah. Um, but one thing, like I described earlier, is the diversity here. So you can have kind of rim rock desert riding and you can have high alpine riding. It's all part of the network here. So, I mean, you have you have the extremes, man. You have desert and you have big time mountains. Tell me a story right now where you got yourself in some trouble in the outdoors. Uh, well, that's not a short list, I guess. (laughs) Um, you know, getting caught in the high country in a hailstorm can turn bad in a hurry. And I remember the first time it happened to me, I was in high school and I was actually riding a mountain bike as training for Nordic skiing. And I was riding with my coach and we were riding, uh, Kennebec Pass which is a classic loop from Durango um, that goes through a 12,000-foot pass and connects to what is now the Colorado Trail. Um, at that time, it wasn't that Colorado Trail section wasn't connected all the way back to town, so it was a single-track pass linked by two sections of Jeep Road. And the knowledge of equipment and appreciation for that, you know, this was in eighty seven or 88 was probably not what it should be. And we had thin windbreakers at best and, you know, a thunderstorm rolled in and started hailing on us and we got under a tree and it didn't pass. And it was pretty apparent at some point we had to start moving again. (laughs) 
um, to get out of the altitude and down. And when we started riding again, there was about four inches of hail on the road. And by the time the storm passed, there was six inches of hail on the road. And so we had about 45 or 50 minutes of descending a, a mountain road in the hail, shivering before it warmed up. But we made it back to town, and I'm sure the next time that we made that loop, we had higher quality rain gear. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah so th- one of the reasons I hate the show is because I'll ask a question like that, and I realize right when you start the story that I could spend three hours on the show talking about like crazy stories and adventure <laughs> and travel, and then I have to r- r- ring it back in. But I think people appreciate that story and. uh and it's amazing how many people get caught doing stuff just because you keep your head down and your passion and you want to go see what's past the next bend. And, uh, you know, I, I would always advise people to do a little bit of due diligence. Don't be the guy wearing cotton jeans and a, and a sweatshirt in the middle of the summer with a three-ounce water bottle going to the top of the peak. Don't be that guy. Yeah, and with technology now, it's so much easier to to predict. You know, just the weather application on almost everybody's phone um, to predict, you know, what's a prudent time to – still be in the high country in August. Yeah, for sure. You know, maybe I got some pictures from you that, that, that have the, the geography of Durango. I'll, I'll definitely post those on the site before we get going here, uh, to the next segment. I have one thing I'm going to paint a picture of you. Like you painted a picture of Durango. So I met Travis a couple weeks ago at a, a fat bike competition in Como, Colorado, which is in the middle of nowhere. And the dude's got a burly beard, man. He, he was riding, uh, in the middle of the night, not in the middle of the night, but it was dark out with his daughter just uh, going over the, the course. And, uh, you know, if, if he wasn't with his daughter, you just think he's like this big old scary mountain man. <laughs> and you start, you start talking to him. He's the nicest guy ever. But he sends, he sends some pictures over for, for the site. And he sends a picture of this dude who's like clean shaven, looks, you know, really tan and, and thin out in the, in the summer sun. And I'm just looking at this guy. He is a pure winter mountain man right now so i'm just letting everybody know the beard is full effect right now all right so the last That's question before winter we move transition exactly just winter face <laughs> it's good it's a good winter face too i can see <laughs> snow just icicles hanging off your beard and everything all right so the last question before we move on to the next segment what is the most inspiring athletic thing uh, or thing you've seen that has to do with athletics in person in your life You even gave me a heads up on this question. Um, you know, seeing other athletes overcome adversity um, is a big deal. And uh, there was a Swiss marathon, like a really formative situation, I guess. There was a Swiss marathoner um, that I remember watching try to finish with heat stroke and just the drive of kind of athletes at that level. I was probably 10. And, um, I think that's something that probably compulsed me to want to be an Olympian. Um, and I think that level of drive and how it taps into the human spirit is a pretty profound amount of energy. And all of us, all of us have access to that. If we can, you know, just figure out what does it for us, whether it's, the right sport or it's the right people in our workout group or the right environment. Um, you know, the human spirit is um, unbelievable and it it is to dig things out of ourselves that we didn't know were there. 
Dude, that is a perfect segue. It's like you wrote the show or something because we're going to transition into exactly what that mental capacity is. What is going on physically when you're firing off at that level and why people feel inclined to finish when they know that you know they're putting themselves at risk, how that all works. It's called Athlete on Fire. That's the next segment. Uh, to start off, I love you know athletes love quotes. They have mantras. Do you have a quote or mantra that you can share with us right now? Um, <laughs> I don't. I guess I don't have a, a quote. You know, you had, you'd asked about quotes and books, and um, there there are a couple books that I think inform my athletic career. One of them's a book about athletics. One of them's not. Um, you know, the Tao Te Ching, I, I read over and over, you know, as time goes on. And I read as a young athlete, and I, I think that's informed how I live and my life as an athlete. And um, as far as books what, that What are, would be the theme of the Tao Te Ching? Um, really is, is balance and figuring out when to push and when to give. And yeah. that kind of subtle enlightenment to everything that has to do with life and athletics. Um, driven athletes can overdo their training very easily. It's not, it's not a puzzle to find an athlete who can pile on more training and more effort than his body's capable of. Uh, yeah. the trick <laughs> is to find the balance, you know, that yeah. allows you to continue to do those builds um, and that takes a lot of discipline and enlightenment, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And let's get into that a little bit. Usually I go into adversity right now, but you have a unique athletic career, I think. So take us like through your college career all the way up till now. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a novel, but just, okay, I went, to, I went to see you, I did this, and then it led to this and this and this. How, how does that work for you? Okay. Can, can we rewind to the books for a second? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, let's go back to the books. Because the, uh, the other book that's really sports-specific um, is um, a book by Jerry Lynch, who's a sports psychologist that I worked with through my career and was really beneficial in me finding you know, my highest athlete. Um, and something, uh, actually a quote from him that I use regularly is, act as if. And it's if you want to you know, be the blue chip athlete in the race that's coming up in a month, or you want to be an Olympian or you want to be a champion, then the first step is, is super simple. And you just act as if you are that person and you behave as if you are that person and you set up your life and your training as if you already are that person. So act as if that's my quote. So would that, would that come from purely a a place of confidence or would it come from like, fake it till you make it i mean wh- what, what is of, it it's kind of like fake it till you make it but it's something that has to be consistent over the long term and it marinates your thought process and your actions and your daily activity and your mental focus and that i think long-term commitment to a goal when you decide something is so important that all right this is what i'm going to do i'm going to put all the energy into it that i have in as efficient way as possible. And for me, my best results, you know, my best performances, if I look back on my career, were always those races that were in my consciousness long-term. You know, this was an important day, an important event, 
and it has been for a long time. And I've been thinking about it for a long time. And so, my training and my workouts have been focused on this. So how, how important is that? Is that something that you internalize or is this something that you need to tell the world so that you can hold yourself accountable to everyone or are you just holding yourself accountable to yourself? Um, I think different I, different individuals respond differently to whether it's internal or external. I think it being part of your consciousness is you know long term is important and if you, it needs to be external, you know where you tell people and they kind of hold you accountable in that direction, that works for some athletes and if it's something that you need to keep private, you know, so you maybe own it and have more confidence about it and don't have external pressures, that might work too. Um, I'm kind of in the middle. And I, as a young athlete, I was definitely far more internalized. And it took a lot of practice and checking of my ego to let the right people into that plan so they could help me. And that was a big part of my progress as an athlete is to have, you know, let people in and say, this is what I want to do. Here's what my goals are. I know they sound a little crazy. You know, can you help me get there? Yeah. No, this is awesome. You know, I, I love diving into the mental piece, uh, the psych psychological piece. A lot of people don't know where to start with a lot of stuff. And it doesn't matter if you're a weekend warrior. And it doesn't matter if you're an elite athlete. If you haven't been exposed. Yeah, you know. And I, I would actually, I would say to whoever's listening to this, Reach out to Travis after this. It doesn't matter if you're a basketball player. It doesn't matter if you're a runner. If you're a mountain biker, it would probably be really cool. But reach out to him and, and talk to him about this. Start a conversation because uh, there's only a handful of people that can really give perspective on this stuff in the world as far as percentages are concerned. And I would definitely consider you one of those people. And, you know, just as far as this interview is concerned, nobody even knows. If nobody has heard of you before right now, they don't even know what kind of experience this is coming on top of. So go really quick, go to your career so we can throw some big-time credibility out there for you and, and tell people kind of where you've been athletically. Okay, well, my I had a transition from traditional ball sports, uh, you know, in kind of grade school and junior high into endurance sports, and I ran track and cross country. And I grew up alpine skiing because we live in Durango and we have a resort here. And I had an injury um, running which kind of forced a transition into Nordic ski racing. And I did that um, through college at the University of Colorado, where we won a Division I NCAA championship. And I was an All-American Nordic skier. And actually, during that time, I had a, a collegiate coach who had been a, a cycling professional and had us do a lot of dryland training on bikes. And, well, I had friends in Durango who were – that was their focus was bike racing because we have a strong culture here. It didn't really interest me. I was focused on a different sport. But I started to realize that I might have more potential to fulfill my Olympic dream, which was first as a runner, then as a skier. I might have more potential to do it as a cyclist. And so when I graduated from CU, um, I had been racing in a professional class but still going to school full-time for a couple years, and I decided – to not take a career path that I had thought I was going down, which was either to dental school or medical school, and to try to make it as a professional cyclist. And, and at that point, um, mountain biking wasn't in the Olympics. Um, and so 
uh, I think it was 96 was uh, full medal status, first year mountain biking in the Olympics. And we had a qualification process that was six races. And that had been in my consciousness long term to make that team. And the races, and I wasn't um, probably, you know, as that process started, I would not have been one of the favorites to make the team. Only two athletes made that team. And uh, those qualification races went extremely well. And my career kind of went to the next level. Um, And the last race of that uh, six-race series was in Traverse City, Michigan. And I had felt like I had pretty much cinched the spot, just had to have a, a race that was well within my form at the time. And I broke my collarbone previewing the course. And that ended it, you know, that ended, uh, you know, the Athens or the Atlanta games for me. Um, but what it did do is really force me to reevaluate if that was important to me. Making an Olympic team was important to me and, and pouring everything into it because you make other sacrifices in your life when you pour that much in um, to trying to get a premium performance. And it was. And I rededicated myself. And <clears throat> for the 2000 games, I, I ha- it was a longer qualification process. And I had similarly good results and was favored amongst a small group and with two or three uh, World Cups left in the qualification races in the spring of 2000. The very first World Cup race, I broke my leg uh, at a World Cup in Mexico. And so I felt like I was right back in the same place. There was uh, basically eight weeks left until the selection for the Sydney Games happened. And that commitment was still there for me. I had surgery and um, they repaired a tibial plateau displaced fracture. And I just decided that I had to do every last thing I could do, every detail of rehab, you know, every part of my diet. And um, I was able to get riding again in about four weeks after the surgery. And I managed to just squeak in a World Cup race and came in two places ahead of the next person who was who I was competing against for that spot and made the team. And, you know, those two things, I think, were really formative, not just for me as an athlete, but, you know, we talked about earlier that there's power in, you know, the human spirit that you kind of can kind of be shocking because everyone wrote me off after I broke my leg and uh, you know, somehow there was, there was something in there to keep the focus and, and, and make that team. And um, so that, yeah, I think that's, that's, I'm more proud of that process for me than the national championships that I've won or winning individual races or um, just cause it, for me, that was the, biggest thing to overcome which is you know is that a message that you shouldn't be doing this or is it just something to temper your focus yeah 
Yeah, that's a that's an amazingly quick term, turnaround for that type of injury. That's just wild. Right. And I you mean, know if, that you know, I I talked earlier about allowing other people in to help me. And so I had a, a surgeon in Boulder, Dr. Steve Paul, who understood what I what my goals were because I shared that with him. You know, and my girlfriend, my wife now, um, she knew what my goals were and um Having those people around you to say, be honest, say, you know, it's against all odds, but if you're going to do it, you know, here's here's the process that you have to go through. And you might yeah. overdo it in your recovery and you might overdo it in rehab, but you're going to have to split every hair to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you won the national championships. You, you're in the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame. You've done some really cool stuff. I think that story is going to take the cake as far as your career goes, because it's just amazing. It's, it's amazing adversity that you've overcome. And, and just the mental piece to get there was really what probably drove you through it. Um, yeah. And I think and, if you look at all champions, I mean, they all have a story like that because yeah. no one gets up to the top without having lots of setbacks that they had to decide they're just going to deal with it. Yeah. And all athletes, you know, it does, like you had said earlier, it doesn't matter if you're, a weekend warrior amateur or you're an Olympic athlete, those hurdles are always going to come. And the biggest thing about your success is going to be how you, how you process those, those challenges. Yep. <clears throat> so let's move on a little bit here. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the physical piece. You know, my master's is in exercise science. I have a passion for, it. I'm interested in it. Knowing your background in endurance. I mean, an elite, uh, cross-country skier and elite mountain biker and runner. Did you ever get your VO2 tested? Um, I really hated lab testing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. We, I, I, I had to spend a lot of time in the lab with teams, you know, evaluating you and um, at the Olympic Training Center, you know, the national team evaluating if they thought you had the chops. And so I've done... Um, enough VO2 max tests, always on a bike, which kind yeah. of has its own range. And I found my my numbers were really much more variable than what you generally think you would be. You know, we talk about VO2 max is, a per, is heavily predisposed, uh, you know, your genetic makeup. But, you know, high VO2 max on a on a bike for me was in the low eighties, but yeah. I also had tests that were in the high sixties. Yeah. So, you know, training, training makes a huge difference. Well, it, you know, it's cool to know the number. I think that that's the basis. If you understand physiologically what's going on to, to blow at 80 VO two, that's cool. Yeah. But there's been so much in the last 10, 15 years that speaks to just pain tolerance and mental fortitude that you can't really measure uh, but when you when you do a psychological profile on somebody and you add in a really good VO2 with all these mental skills, that's when you're getting to this elite level, and it's pretty it's definitely neat. one of the components. Yeah. All right, so let's talk habit and super. Well, we'll talk two pieces of habit. The first one is: Do you have any like weird superstitions or rituals that you do before you compete or while you compete? Um, you know, I was I was always paranoid of having superstitions. And maybe that's my superstition. 
you know, I didn't want to have a ritual that if it got upset the morning of the race was going to blow me out mentally and, and ruin my opportunity for a result that day. So I have a, have a warming up process and things like that, that I try to go through, but I always really tried to make a conscious decision to not have superstitions. That's a good. Um, one. And in, in the effort of giving people takeaways, what, what is your warm up process? Um, well, what, what I, and I, it took me a, it's a, been a long evolution to try to figure out warmups that really work for me. And one thing I, I learned, um, you know, about halfway through my career is that I needed to start my warm up as early in the day before the event as possible. And that that started to switch on, you know, all of my maximal systems, you know, for the race start. Mountain bike race starts are kind of like a bunch sprint that turns into a time trial. And if you're not good on the start, you can pretty much waste a good 80% of the race because of traffic or not being with your people, you know, the people you should be racing with. Um, So if I have a race that starts afternoon or um i try to warm up do a really easy ride first thing in the morning and what that seems to do for me is that that switches on my system my body says all right you're going to have a race today here's what we're going to have to do and that whole time maybe it's five hours between that initial warm-up and when the race the gun goes off i feel like if i do the warm-up really early my systems are clicking on, clicking on, kind of coming up to ready all day long. Now, I still do a traditional warm-up of some high RPMs, you know, within an hour of the race, light light effort, high RPM spinning, and a couple, you know, race start simulations. I still do that. But if I can get that 30 or 40 minutes light spin in the morning, four hours before the start, I am 100% more comfortable, you know, in that first five minutes of the race. So do you use music or thoughts? Um, I use music if I'm riding, not in traffic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, you know, mountain biking, I, I mean, lots of, lots of sports are equipment intensive and setup intensive. And that's always been something that's, I'm really interested in. And I think it's why I landed in product development so in that warm-up time, I'm thinking about, do I have the right tire pressure? You know, do I have the right bike set up? Do I have the right suspension set up? Um, have I optimized all of those things to give me the best advantage with my equipment? Um, nice. I think about that, that a lot. All right. What would be in your, pre, your pre-competing uh, playlist? I like, um, I like house music and techno. Yeah. Nice. I really like Daft Punk. Yeah, those guys are good. Works really works for me getting ready for a race. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, we're going to move down the line. So that's like the fun ritual part. So what is one habit in general that you that you have that you think really contributes to your success? Um Well, I think that the that long-term uh conscience conscious vigilance that performance is important to you and your health is important to you informs your diet and your sleep patterns and everything else. 
And, you know, I, for a lot of my career, I probably didn't appreciate diet and sleep the way that it seems clear that it's important now. Yeah. You know, those are, I think, equal components to the training part. And, you know, if you don't have, you're not going to absorb the high quality training that you figured out works for you if you're not having high quality rest. Okay. Um, do you, the high variability. Do you cook for yourself? I, well, I used to cook for myself, but my wife, Mary, is a better cook than me and understands and has an equal understanding of nutrition and enjoys it more than me. So Default. she's cooking now. But, you know, good nutrition for performance is really simple, yeah. you know, and you eat food as close to its natural state as possible and you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. Um, and I think as you evolve as an athlete and you figure out the workouts that really do it for you and the amount of sleep that really does it for you, you also figure out the kind of foods that really allow you to perform at a high level. And so that's something that, you know, was hard for me is to have discipline over my diet leading up to a big event because I like pastries. I'm, you know, I, I'm not celiac. I don't have a high gluten intolerance, but I can tell the difference when I'm eating a lot of bread in my recovery and my systemic inflammation yeah. and when I'm not. And so that clean diet, you know, over the buildup to a, a big event is really important. So try, really quick, this describe systemic inflammation for people who might not know what that is. Um, so it's, it's just a general part of your performance as a human being and as an athlete. So your react, your recovery from a hard workout, workout stimulates inflammation, soreness, and not just in your muscles, but the rest of your body and anything that's going to cause systemic inflammation. And there, it's different, you know, lots of dietary things for different people is going to inhibit your recovery from races and hard efforts. So anything you can do to um, improve your recovery from workouts is going to give you a quicker build to that peak form. And so it's your sleep and it's your diet. And you know, what we referenced before, you know, people have varying tolerance to the, the gluten protein, which is you know, found mostly in wheat and, and grains. So some people it doesn't affect them at all. Some people, on the other end of things, you know, celiac disease, it gives them all kinds of crazy, you know, health problems. Well, most of us have some level of tolerance, intolerance to it, and it might make you more mucousy. That's one. That was one of the signs that that uh, to me that it it wasn't something that was burning clean in my system. Um, and you know, then I had some tests done, and you know, saw some some mild reaction to it. So. Um, and there are, there are other foods that aren't going to give your body a, a good reaction. Yeah. So. Now, I, I feel like we could talk nutrition and physiology. All, well, I know we could all day long. And uh, it's been a great interview so far. We're going to move down the line a little bit more. And that, that's the Athlete on Fire segment. It's, it's more knowledge on, on competition and the mental side of it. You gave us some great insights. Before we go on to the last piece, which is Athlete Inspired, uh, I, have a, I have an interview for you, but it's not – it's not a standard interview, okay? Since you have mastered riding on two wheels, I, I want to test your knowledge on the sport of unicycling, riding on one wheel. <laughs> All right? So 
if you've ever listened to uh, like Wait Wait Don't Tell Me from NPR, they sure. always do goofy goofy interviews with like really famous people. So that's what we got right here. First question: True or false? The inventor of the unicycle unicycle never learned how to ride one. Well, that just seems too silly to be false. I'm going to say that's true. And it is true, and that is really – what was he doing? I don't get it. I don't, maybe he was trying to play a joke or create a challenge. It's funny. <laughs> riding a unicycle is on my bucket list. I've never learned to ride one. But from oh. a balance standpoint, it seems like it would be a, a great training tool. I want to I learn. So I will hook you up with one of my very first interviews. He, I haven't posted his show yet. His name is Ryan Atkins. He won the world's toughest mutter this last year. Okay, he's just a, he's a beast, man, and he's actually a, a professional mountain biker as well. But he, before he got into all this stuff, he was a professional uh, unicycle world champion. the The dude was like riding on four inch rails on overpasses and doing all kinds of crazy tricks and stuff. Just nuts. So I'll hook you up with him. Maybe he can give you some pointers. <laughs> all right, number two. This is multiple choice. In what country? Is learning to ride a unicycle a mandatory part of PE curriculum for elementary and middle school students? Is it A, France, B, Japan, C, Canada, or D, Sweden? I'm going to say Canada. You are incorrect. It is Japan, actually. Good to know. <laughs> Lastly, which is a real unicycle team sport? Is it A, unicycle football, B, unicycle hockey, C, unicycle soccer, or D, unicycle cricket? Hmm. I'm going to guess uh, – no, I'm, I know this. It's hockey. You are right. <laughs> you know what it is? You were stroking your beard like a really smart guy for like a I, second you, there. You can tell I didn't – know the answer until i gave it a little pet and then it just came to me i know all every answer is in a strand of beard hair <laughs> this is true all right travis we're gonna move on to the last segment man this is besides the first question it's all gonna be kind of quick hitters so just give them quick answers give some people some some good resources to to go away with from this interview here okay first one is legacy important to you yes it is um i think I don't know. As I have grown older, it's become more and more important. And actually, it takes time to figure out the things that are really important in your life. And so, um, you know, the trail network created a huge opportunity for me here. So I try to do a lot um, of trail advocacy um, and a lot of volunteer trail work with our local advocacy group, Trails 2000. Not just because my wife is the director there, but that's part of the reason. Um, and um, I serve on the Durango Devo um, Board of Directors. They um, it's a it's a junior mountain bike development program here in Durango that's been wildly successful. You know, in a town of sixteen thousand people, when you have six hundred kids that participate in your town program, um, it's part of our culture here. And uh, it gets people out, gets kids outside, and uh, I think gets them in their natural primal state and gets them connected to that part of their humanness. And um, my daughter's pretty good on a mountain bike, and it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Durango Devo. So um, 
yeah, those things are important to me and those are things that I try to give my energy back to. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, I, I think legacy, just, just as an analogy for what you've done in your life, it's got to be like a really long mountain bike ride where, where you're going to be summiting a couple of big peaks. There's no way when you start you think you're going to be able to ride that whole thing. But by the time everything's done and the body of work is over, every little cycle that you push down on is going to be a piece of that legacy. And and, and for you, I think the analogy has got to serve you well because you kind of understand that. For sure. And, you know, I've been extremely fortunate to find a career in something that I'm passionate about. And it's given me a lot of satisfaction and opportunities for realiza- self-realization. And I want to pass those opportunities on. So um, I do that, you know, any way I can, whether it's meeting with, you know, juniors that want to race faster or talk about equipment or whatever it is. It's important to to pass, pay it forward, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So so who or what is inspiring you right now in the world? Um, well, I think like a lot of people right now, um, I'm watching the Olympic Games, and you know it reminds me of of that experience for myself, and uh, you know seeing athletes dig performances. I you know the surprise performance, you know from the underdog for me is just awesome. You know the athlete that was not favored and somehow dug a performance out of themselves that they didn't know they had or others didn't know they had. I mean, that that's kind of like what what's like the purpose of sport. Yeah. To, that, I mean, the this, this satisfaction of getting something that you didn't know you had. And in that sense, you know, I, I look at other athletes, my competitors, as a gift to try to find that because you're not going to get at it yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's, so I think- we're getting to see a lot of that these, this two weeks in the Olympics. Do you, is is there an athlete that you're watching specifically? Um, well, I was very excited to watch Kick and Randall because of my my Nordic background, and so I was disappointed to not see her make the finals in the sprint after you know basically several seasons of of dominating the World Cup in that discipline. But that's another reality of the Olympics. It's one event, and you know. The best athletes have good days, and the best athletes have bad days, and they're no different than anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. So th- this next couple of questions, I, it comes from the old Jimmy V speech back in the day when he did the ESPYs. I love that speech. It just every time I watch, it gives me goosebumps. But he asks, he tells people they should do three things every day, and I'm going to ask you what those things are for you. So what makes you laugh every day? Um, what makes me laugh now is my daughter Zara. And her, she's 10 years old and well, it's, this has been going on for 10 years now. Her consciousness and understanding of the world is on the most profound escalating curve. So every single day she pretty much asks me a question that, that means she understands something that I didn't think she understood. And she has awesome sense of humor. So she likes to make jokes. She makes me laugh every day. Oh, that's awesome. And I'll tell our audience a story really quick. Uh, And it's my first impression of you, actually. We were up there at that mountain bike, the fat bike race a couple weeks ago. And Travis came up after the actual race, which was a unique experience in itself. But he he told me that when the highlight of the weekend was getting out with his daughter at, at night 
both of them threw some headlamps on and went and, and messed around on the course and they were both on the fat bikes. And for me, it was really cool to hear that from them, but just knowing that they're, you know, there's a dad out here, he's coming to compete, but his daughter wanted to be a part of that and they got to share a cool moment. So that's just a cool part of being able to do what you're passionate about with your kids all the time. Yeah, it, it was awesome. <laughs> all right. Number two, what, what brings your emotions to tears? Like what makes you cry? Uh, seems like more things make me cry all the time. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, that as you age, the things that are meaningful, continue to crystallize. And so when I see, you know, someone else who has something that's important to them and, and it's the same as me, you know, whether it's their family or their lifestyle or outdoor experience and I see them full of emotion, um, it makes me full of emotion. That's cool. Yeah. And, and the last piece of the Jimmy V question is what makes you think every day? You, you seem like a cognitive dude, so what do you do to think? Um, well, I, I think given – I think we all deserve the luxury of some time to ponder our lives and ponder what we're doing every day. And hopefully that means, um, you know, I want to live a thoughtful life and I want to make the right decisions and I need to make a little bit of time every day to review if that's the path that I'm on. And so, you know, actually giving myself the luxury of that time to, to ponder the direction of my life and it's, if it's the direction that I want it to go, that's what I do every day. And, and on, for everybody listening, that's a takeaway for everybody. Uh, Travis gets to live in a beautiful, naturally beautiful place. So it might be, it might be easier for him to disconnect. It might not. But, but the fact of the matter is we all need to disconnect and think without distraction every once in a while. It's really important. For sure. Uh, all right. So we have two questions, Travis. I know you thought it would never end. It will soon. Uh, we're so connected. We're such a, such a connected society. How can people get in touch with you? What is your preferred social media just give us a couple ways to get a hold of you. Well, I I am a little reserved on social media. Um, well, I have a, a Facebook page. It's pretty much just auto posts from Twitter. So my Twitter handle is T Brown Trip, and uh, I like to post important things there, um, important experiences, um, and you know things that basically fortify the you know, the value system that we've talked about, whether that's being on top of a mountain or being on a ride with my daughter. So they can see me there. Awesome. And if you need to reach out to, to Travis through me, that's fine. I'd, I'd be happy to connect you guys. Uh, I've had a great time today. Travis, thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you. This was really fun. Yeah. And this is to everybody else in the world. You guys have been inspired by what I think is an obvious athlete on fire travis brown today i'm your host scott jones and uh reach out it's, it's going to be a fun fun process here on athlete on fire thanks a lot thank you for listening to athlete on fire stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com